Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 2 The story thus far. Oberlin and Tully are on the run in Naha City, Okinawa. After escaping from Black Door 20 agent Celeste Harris, the pair made their way to Makishi Fish Market to seek out Fish Egg Freddy, a questionable colleague from Tully's past. Now hiding from the authorities, both men are desperate to reunite with the two women they left behind in Leviathan. Tully is overcome with the shame of abandoning McAllen, while Oberlin pines for Mai Lee, the mysterious woman to whom he has grown deeply attached. And after floating adrift in the Philippine Sea, Harlequin was rescued by his young ward, Lizette Mansubil, who stole the condor to find him. In order to treat his extensive injuries, Harlequin has flown the condor to a secret sanctuary medical facility, hidden deep within the bowels of the Encore Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. But back in the Himalayan mountains, Senshin and Whit Roberts have become fugitives, trekking through the snow-covered kingdom of Bhutan. After narrowly avoiding an assassination attempt on Mount Shenlong, Whit Roberts is injured, and the men are still several days' journey from safe transport out of the country. Senshin has assured Whit that the key to finding the missing Soraxian aliens lies in New York City. Whit's superior, Jason Sterling, is still at large. But now time is of the essence. McAllen Orsall has been named Special Counsel Chair of Leviathan and is assembling a strike force to locate the Seraxian aliens on the surface. McAllen believes if she can find the aliens, she can force them to provide a Starstone that will save Evangeline and prevent the destruction of Leviathan. And now, Chapter 30, Into the Fire. The translucent pushpod streaked across the sky of Leviathan, hugging the ceiling of the Great Cavern. It usually took a pushpod seven to eight minutes to cover the length of the city, but since the random power fluctuations had crippled Leviathan's infrastructure, the entire SkyTube network speed had been reduced by two-thirds. The extra time gave McAllen an opportunity to reflect while all of Leviathan City lay below her. I could almost walk faster, but then I wouldn't see it. The vastness of this city. All the citizens. All the damage. Oh, this is why I'm fighting. We, we can't, can't abandon Leviathan. McAllen instinctively planted her right foot forward as the pushpod gradually reduced its speed before coming to a halt. McAllen exited the SkyTube network at Cross Station, a half mile from the West Hangar Bay. There were closer terminal stations, but over half of the SkyTube system was disabled due to the cavern collapse and power disruptions earlier in the week. McAllen descended on one of the station's crystalline stair screws, which took her down to ground level. 
As soon as her feet reached the cavern floor, engineering underchief Astrid Ansler joined McAllen's side as the two urgently walked towards the West Hangar Bay. We have everything waiting for you in the Zephyr, ma'am. I packed a satchel of weather-appropriate clothes for you, as well as diving and tactical gear. I had my team working all night to customize the ship for the mission. The grappling hooks? Mounted on the roof and pre-corded to work with the belay devices I packed in your kit. I also took out some of the emergency beacons to make room for a full sensor net that I installed in the aft that should jam any radar, sonar, or wireless signal in the Zephyr's vicinity. It also interfaces with your team's PCOM, so you can track all activity from within the ship. The team's what? This. Under Chief Ansler stopped mid-stride to present McCallum with a thin, metallic, yet completely flexible strip that she wrapped around McCallum's wrist. The strap fastened magnetically and McCallum was surprised at the substantial weight of something so thin. This is your PCOM, or personal communicator. It lets you keep an open comm link with everyone on your strike force, as well as track your motion from the command station within the Zephyr. Excellent. I feel like we're engaged. <laughs> what about armament? I leave that to military Chief Khan and his strike force. I'm not really a weapons girl. Me neither. The Zephyr-class ships aren't usually modified for an offensive mission. We'd use the Vespers for that. Your ship is more tactical and designed to carry a small force a great distance. We're also a sitting duck if we get discovered. Well, you just can't let that happen, ma'am. The pair arrived at the entrance to the West Hangar Bay. A massive twin set of interlocking iron doors stood before them. The doors were covered in metallic rivets the size of basketballs, and people seemed to be urgently rushing in and out of the frenzied port. McAllen stared at the masses of immortals flooding inwards towards the cathedral. How many are in? We're reporting over 85% of the surface population back in residency. Is Mercer Already dividing the entire population into four crisis groups. Group 1 is trying to disable the virus. Group 2 is focused on repairing the damage from the cavern collapses and power outages. Group 3 is trying to reconnect the pressure shield onto an isolated relay that is powered independently from the city in the event I mean, when you bring a Starstone back to Leviathan. You said there were four groups. The fourth group is working on a system to facilitate a rapid evacuation if the other three fail. But, but I'm sure it won't come to that, Council Chair. Please, call me McAllen. I know you'll find what you're looking for, McAllen. Thank you, Astrid. And thank you for everything you've done to make this Strike Force mission ready. My pleasure. I'm glad for the chance to do something to actually save our city, instead of just keeping it from falling apart. I can tell Evangeline's very lucky to have you. Astrid beamed from the compliment and began to turn towards Cross Station to head back to the engineering headquarters. Oh, and Astrid! I assume that parcel I wanted is on board? Astrid Ansler let a sly grin escape her lips. It is, ma'am. Is it loaded? For bear, ma'am. Excellent. Good luck to you, Astrid. And to you, McAllen. The two women exchanged a long stare before McAllen turned to walk through the massive barrier doors of the West Hangar Bay. The interior of the bay was a cacophony of loading drones, docking bays, and members of the engineering team running back and forth to accommodate the incoming Zephyr ships that were offloading the Immortals returning home. Oh, this is your doing. You recalled everyone back to Leviathan. You need to give them hope. You need them to believe. McCallum walked quickly towards the far end of the docking bay, taking care to step over the snaking silver and black cables that ran across the floor. Massive cranes strained to lift the large Zephyr-class submersibles out of their docking slips and onto the gargantuan storage racks to effectively put each incoming vessel into dry dock. Because of McAllen's recall order, there were not enough slips to accommodate all of the incoming vessels. Almost every single one of the smaller Vespa-class ships was launched out to sea and remained on long-term patrol 
patrol to make way for the incoming Zephyrs carrying 10 to 20 citizens each from every corner of the globe. McAllen stopped mid-stride as a familiar anthropomorphic mech over 15 feet tall strode past her carrying a turbine engine for one of the Zephyrs that must have weighed several tons. My god, of course! The mechs! Just like the ones we found in Nancat, Zanu was leaking technology to Jason Sterling. Sterling was leaking it to Nankatsu to manufacture vehicles to aid the aliens in their escape plan. McAllen's heart sank a tiny bit as she realized that any advantage that immortal technology might give her strike force would be negated by equal technology shared by the enemy. But at least we'll have the element of surprise. McAllen reached the end of the hangar bay and approached a modified Zephyr that was being prepped for launch. Two men, each wearing the Sea Dragon insignia of the Leviathan Defense Unit, stood outside, loading large black crates into the Zephyr. The first man was Nordic-looking, just over six foot slender and wore wire-rimmed glasses with strange red lenses. The second man looked entirely different and was so massive that McAllen thought for a moment that he might have been a mech. The man stood six feet ten inches tall with dark ebony skin and arms that looked as thick as cannons. His chest was so large that McAllen lost sight of the first man completely as they lined up in front of each other. The last crate had just been moved inside. Don't tell me I arrived just after all the heavy lifting got finished. The two men turned to stare at McAllen, recognizing her instantly. The bespectacled man spoke first. Well, if this strike force mission of yours is for real, I sense there'll be a lot of heavy lifting ahead of us. I'm McAllen Orso. We know. I'm Gregor Rachinsky, and this is Robertson. Hello. Just Robertson? Henry Robertson. Before a few centuries, people just called me by my last name. Well, given your size, Robertson, I don't think there's any confusing you with anybody else. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you look like you could hold the cavern ceiling on your shoulders. Well, let's make sure this mission is successful so it doesn't come to that. I agree. What are your specialties? I'm a tracker. Computers on foot, through a city, through a forest, using smell, sight sound. <laughs> Once I get you in my head, I can't lose you. Let's hope that applies to people that aren't people. And Robertson, I don't need to ask what your strength is. It's pretty evident. My job is to stop trouble before it becomes trouble. McAllen smiled. <sighs> we're going to save this city, gentlemen. Where's the remaining Strike Force member? Khan said there were three. Robertson and Gregor exchanged a quick glance at each other. Everyone else is on board. We're just waiting for you, ma'am. Well, I'm here now, so let's shove off and start heading north. McAllen, Gregor, and Robertson ducked their heads and entered the Zephyr from the side hatch. Inside the craft, a thin but bright strip of lumiflora bordered the ceiling of the cabin, bathing it in bluish-white light. The pilot station at the bow was a single seat, surrounded by a half-circle of console inputs and digital readouts. Two long levers connected to the floor represented the thruster inputs, while a single flight stick in the center controlled maneuvering. The pilot wore an identical Leviathan defense uniform as Gregor and Robertson, but also a large black helmeting mask that all pilots of Zephyrs and Vespers wore. The helmet provided the pilot with simulated reconstructed imagery of the outside of their craft, as well as an internal heads-up display of the vital instrumentation related to their flight path. Towards the aft of the cabin, on the starboard side, was a command station with six monitors built into the hull. Two microphone stalks grew out of the console, and a dizzying array of knobs and switches left no doubt that this station was the nerve center of the strike force. McAllen took in the entirety of the cabin and steadfast looks of the strike force members, and allowed herself a brief moment of optimism. This mission is going to be a success. I want everyone here to know 
that we will save Leviathan. Well, I'm so glad you think so. It would crush my gentle heart if we were all just wasting our time on a sightseeing trip. A tall chair in front of the command console spun around, and McCallum was shocked to see who was sitting in it. So nice of you to be joining us, Miss Orsall. McCallum stopped in her tracks and stared malevolently at military underchief Keitha Watson. What the hell do you think you're doing? Who appointed you on the strike force? Prime Officer Khan said that his best men were Sometimes be- it takes a woman to do a man's job. Don't give me that shit. You're here as a spy for the military division of Leviathan so that Khan can usurp power usurp over- power over what? A cavern filled with dark cold water full of corpses. I'm on this ship to fight for my home, to fight for the people I've lived with for centuries. You've been against this mission since the start. Khan chose you to- I was chosen for this mission because I've been a veteran of the Darkwater Force for over five decades. I've got the best network of contacts, access to Leviathan's accounts across the globe, and advanced degrees in martial arts. How dare you question my loyalty? You've only been immortal for how long, McCallan? A few weeks? A few months? It's a joke that we should be following you at all. Let's get one thing straight. I'm in command of this strike force, not you. Your orders will be obeyed as long as they don't lead to the further destruction of Leviathan City. That's not the way it's going to work. If I sense for a second that you are trying to sabotage this effort, I will kick your ass right into a fucking airlock and pull the pin if you even start. I don't know who the hell you think you're talking to, but I could snap your neck six different ways in the next two seconds, and there's not a damn thing you could do about it. Alert! Alert! Thermal power failure imminent. Relieve all heavy loads and prepare for power failure. Within seconds, the rows of lights illuminating the West Hangar Bay extinguished, and the heavy industrial cranes rushed to lower the heavy Zephyr ships they carried to avoid dropping them. The pilot spun his chair around to shout at the strike force. Buckle down. We need to get out of there now. At your seal. Davids Prime, ready to enter launch too. If we don't leave now, we'll lose the window and be stuck here for hours. Do you have that kind of time to spare, McCallan? Damn it! Launch the fucking ship! Get us out of here! McCallan threw herself into one of the cabin seats and strapped herself in as did the rest of the crew. As power continued to ebb from the West Hangar Bay, McCallan watched through the cabin porthole as each docking bay went dark. The rolling power outages were sweeping towards the ship. Hurry! There were a total of 30 active docking ports in the bay, and by now more than half had gone dark. The davits that held each Zephyr up suddenly went limp, causing the ships to crash into the sides of their slips. To lose our window now! The Davits holding the Strike Force Zephyr launched the ship forward into the circular loading tube leading out to the ocean. The seal hatch slammed shut behind the craft, finishing the last task before McCallan and her team would be fired into the trench. I'm showing seal integrity! Releasing pressure tubes! Outside Leviathan City, built into the walls of the Marianas Trench, a series of oblong flaps burst open allowing seawater to rush into the launch tubes at 16,000 pounds per square inch. The icy water tore through the access pipes, violently flooding the launch chamber, shooting the Zephyr outward in the dark water of the trench. We're out. Yeah, hopefully power will be restored before we get back. There'll be a wet walk home if they don't. Pilot, take us on a northern heading through the trench and slowly bring us up the abyssopologic zone. We'll cut east when we clear the canyon walls. Council Chair, can you tell us any more about our mission? First of all, call me McAllen. Second, we are heading to a top-secret data farm, a server array run by the Black Door Group. It's located off the coast of Alaska in an abandoned oil rig near the Musician's Seamount. 
We believe it contains information that will allow us to find a rendezvous point for where the aliens and Black Door might be. If we find the aliens, we can force them to provide us with a star stone and means to save our city. And eventually. With information that sensitive, the facility is going to be heavily guarded. We've been given detailed schematics of the facility and security clearance to get inside from My Lee. It should be pretty straightforward getting in, but I don't know where the trail is going to lead us from there. In my experience, these things are never straightforward. Wait a second, I know that voice. Pilot! Pilot! Remove your helmet! The pilot of the Zephyr spun his chair around and removed his helmet. Well, it was getting a bit stuffy under there. Anton! Step away from the control panel, you murderer! What the hell did you do with my pilot? Oh, oh him? Well, he's locked in the lavatory with an anthology of Doonesbury comic strips. I'm not sure if there was enough toilet paper. To... I'll tell you one last stand time. Stand down, Under Chief Watson! Step away from the comm! I said stand down. You are not going to discharge a weapon at 30,000 feet underwater and kill us all. May I remind you that by doing so, you would also be killing everyone in Leviathan. This man is a convicted criminal. That's funny, because I don't recall being offered a trial. I insist we turn the vessel around and return this traitor to the LDU within Leviathan. Robertson, Gregor, take him into custody. I'm in command here. Robertson and Gregor, please obey my orders. Think it through. The West Hangar Bay is shut down and will be for hours. We don't have time to turn around, wait for a docking port, unload our passenger, and then proceed with the mission. Do you have that kind of time to spare under Chief Watson? McCallan, think. Anton has killed other immortals. He has no loyalty, no honor, and is motivated solely by self-preservation and enrichment. He's using you to escape. You can't allow him to be part of this mission. He has my loyalty. Military Underchief Keitha Watson sat back in her chair and command console looking defeated. She stared at Anton ruefully and let out a long, tired breath. <sighs> Just fly the damn ship and get us to Alaskan waters. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Tully! How are you, my brother from another mother? Huh? 
Oberlin, you still hang out with this guy? <laughs> you guys must be in love. <laughs> I haven't seen you guys in a long time. Very long time. You went back to Alaska, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we were working out of Homer for a while. Oh, let me see your hand, Tully. Where are your gold rings? Where's your treasure? You find that boat you were looking for? The Orlando Cortez. No, no, we haven't found it yet. Our boat sort of got, uh, blown up. <laughs> your boat got blown up! <laughs> you look for shipwreck with treasure. Now, your own boat is shipwrecked <laughs> with no treasure! <laughs> Oberlin! Oh, why you hang out with this guy? <laughs> Look, Freddy, you gotta keep it down. There's a lot of people looking for us. We're in a lot of trouble, okay? Big trouble. Fish Egg Freddy stopped laughing and let a smile slip from his face as he took a long stare at Tully. He rose from his tiny chip desk and closed the cheap Venetian blinds in his office. You're always in a lot of trouble, Tully. That's your problem. Look, Freddy, this isn't our fault. Tully and I didn't do anything wrong. We got mixed up in something big and... and... we're just trying to get home. So you get mixed up. Mixed up in something big, and now you bring big problem to my fish egg office. Look, I don't want to cause any problems for you, Freddy. Yeah, but you always cause problems. Big problems for fish egg Freddy. I did you big favor. I got you Yakuza money, 250 large quarter million dollars and you don't pay now yakuza come and yell at me they yell at freddy they tell my customers not to buy from me business very bad you're not a good friend tully you're a big problem friend oberlin why you hang out with this guy because he's my friend and when you needed help tully was there for you freddy when your cousin wanted to come to america Tully got him a job in Seattle, working on the duck boats, giving tours. He got no job working on the duck boats. They dress him like a duck and make him walk around Belltown in a hot duck suit. He got his ass kicked and now everyone call him Duck Boy. Tully's a very bad friend. All right, but how about that other time when you wanted to impress that Japanese girl and her family with a real American barbecue? You didn't have any money, and I sent you all those pork ribs and spicy barbecue sauce from Memphis? That sauce turned bad, too spicy. Made that girl's whole family shit water for a week. The girl never called me again. Fish ate Freddy's heart and ass, broken for a long time. Oberlin, why you hang out with this guy? Because he's always been there when I needed him. And when you needed a hand getting those 200 kilos of Ocetra moved out of Japan to Anchorage without paying any tariffs, Tully came through for you. That saved you a lot of money. Ah, that was a good deal. And that time, a few years ago, when we came over for Golden Week, I fixed your caviar refrigerator so your shipment wouldn't spoil. The uh, refrigerator broke two weeks later. But now we're in a jam. A bad one. And we need one last favor. All right, all right. What do you two need? We need you to hide us from the police and anyone else. We need to lay low for a few days, and then we need you to get us out of the country. Canada if you have to, but we gotta get out of Japan, quick. Oh my god, Tully! No, listen, it's not like those other times, Freddy. I can take care of you, just not right now. There's this girl who owes me a shit ton of money, but I gotta, I, I gotta get to her. I gotta help her, and once I get paid, I can pay you back, Freddy. Ten grand for helping us. You make me laugh, Tully. Hmm. You not even pay your loan from Yakuza. They mad, Tully. Very mad. 
If you no pay Yakuza, how you gonna pay Freddy? I can do both, Freddy. I can take care of the debt and give you a cut on the upside. This is a big score for me, but I can't pay anything to anybody if I get thrown in jail by the police or the MPs. You get me, Freddy? We gotta lay low, man. Real low. Real quiet. And you're the best, right? You once told me you can get anything done in Naha City. But you two get me in big trouble! I don't come to your country and fuck your life up! No troubles this time, Freddy. I promise. You just gotta stick us someplace out of sight. If I can get back to this girl, I can get us both back on our feet. I can get you paid, Freddy. Make it up to you. Thirty thousand. Thirty thousand what? Dollars! You pay Freddy thirty thousand or I call the police right now. I lost big money when you didn't pay Yakuza. I lost my house and moved back with Mama-san. No girls come to Freddy's house because Mama yells at them. She yells at me too, always yelling. This all your fault, Tully. You pay me $30,000 if I help you. You owe Freddy very much. We have deal? Yeah, yeah, Freddy, we got a deal. When I can meet my friend and get my money, I'll, I'll pay you what I owe you. Promise. Ah, your promise worth less than fish head. I trust Oberlin. Oberlin, we have deal. Look me in eye. You make sure Tully pay Freddy? Yes, Freddy. You have my word. I'll make Tully get you your money. But now, will you help us? Freddy will help you guys. You two stay here. Don't touch anything in my fish egg office. You understand? We got it, Freddy. Fish Egg Freddy gave Oberlin and Tully one final look of disgust before shaking his head and walking out of his dingy office. The pair stood in the middle of the room awkwardly out of fear that Freddy could rescind his offer of assistance if they were caught touching anything. Are you sure this was a good idea, Tully? Well, in fairness, it seems like less of a good idea now. All right, all right. I need to get you two clowns out of my office. You'll ruin my fish egg business. Put these on. Freddy tossed two Makishi fish market overalls to Tully and Oberlin. Ah, jeez, Freddy, these things are a little tight. Gaiji's too big, too fat. This is in Project Runways. You move faster. Tully and Oberlin quickly donned the grimy grey jumpsuits that were covered in fish blood and off-coloured malodorous stains. Freddy then handed them two white baseball hats to cover their hair. These are good disguises, though. Yeah? Where are we going, Freddy? Back of the market! You won my help, so now you help me. We're going in the back to unload boxes. Got a full day of work ahead of us. Heavy lifting. Four shipments came in. You work for Freddy now. Get moving, chop chop. Two days later. In a small bar near the Makishi fish market, Tully and Oberlin sat in a dark corner on ripped vinyl chairs with their elbows resting on the sticky wooden surface of the table. They were exhausted from performing heavy manual labor for Fish Egg Freddy all day, unloading heavy crates of seafood and caviar. His theory being that Tully and Oberlin were less likely to be noticed by the authorities if they were performing warehouse work in plain sight, as opposed to gawking around Okinawa as tourists. Sadly, the men had little choice in the matter. <sighs> Jesus Christ, my back hurts. That Freddy is a slave driver. I can barely lift this mug to my mouth. My arm feels like lead. How many boxes did we unload? Well, we did four trailers this morning. I counted six in the afternoon. I think it was the restocking that killed me. My feet feel like they're on pins and needles. We had to do all that work in combat boots. Well, if we have to do another day like that, 
I'll call Black Door and turn ourselves in myself. <laughs> that was really brilliant the way you rigged up that fork to send that current through the water. Eh, uh, was nothing. The key is to add the soap. Well, I said it once and I'll say it again. A skipper could never ask for a better first mate. <sighs> I'm empty. You need another? No, I think I'm okay. Yeah? Well, I could use another. Hey, bartender, can we have another round of Kieran drafts? Take it easy, Tully. We can't tie one on the way we usually do. What are you saying? I'm just saying we're not out of the woods yet. We gotta keep our wits about us and can't dull our senses with too much booze. We still need to be able to feel our way out of this. Yeah, well, I just don't want to feel anything right now. I don't want to feel my lower back, which might explode any second. I don't want to feel my head, which is filled with thoughts of Agent Harris shooting us in the chest. And I sure as hell don't want to feel my soul, which is aching from McAllen. And now you're telling me I shouldn't have another beer. Tully, I feel your pain, brother. We're going to figure this out. We're in a hell of a better position than we were a few days ago. I was with McAllen a few days ago. Tully... I'm so sorry. I know I had you stuck between a rock and a hard place. McAllen has to understand that. Dude, what am I going to do about McAllen? She must hate me, Oberlin. She's got to be hating me right now. Hate's a strong word. I don't think there are many people that actually hate you. My ex-wife. Yeah, she probably does hate you. Anton. Yeah, he didn't like you much either. I left her to die, Oberlin. Yeah, that was pretty rough. She might hate you. Thanks, pal. I didn't mean that- You've got to get back to Leviathan somehow. I need to know if McAllen is okay. I, I think I made a huge mistake. We've got to find some way to get back to her. So you can collect on your big score? Tully looked deep in his mug of beer and then turned to Oberlin. Come on, man, that's not fair. You know that's not true. I just said that to Freddy so he'd help us. It's more than that with McAllen. I- Look. If you hadn't done what you did, if you hadn't jumped through the keyhole when Rit Roberts was trying to kill me, then then I probably wouldn't be here right now. It wasn't your fault. It is my fault, Tully. I didn't leave you with any choice. Your best friend or your girlfriend. It's my fault if it's anybody's. And plus, you said she might not even be alive, so... I mean, I, I'm sure she's alive. I just, you know, I, I just... I wouldn't, you know, beat yourself up over... <sighs> Look... I blew it just as hard. I don't even know if Miley's still alive. I miss her something awful. We fucked up pretty bad with both of our girls. You know, I felt like I was doing something good with her, Oberlin. There was something special about McCallum. She needed my help back in Alaska. We figured out how to get that sarcophagus out of the Cedar Elm. We found Leviathan together. It's just, I felt like we were outlaws, but like the good guys. I was, I, I was doing something good for her. <sighs> we were, we were a team. We were a team too, Tully. You did what you had to do to save my life. If I wasn't getting my ass kicked by Wit Roberts, then you wouldn't be in this jam. I should have seen it coming. I won't ever forget what you did for me. Finding McAllen is just as important to me too. Somehow, we'll find her. I know. I know that. But what if we do find her, you know? I just had something special and I fucked it up. Even if I find her, she may just want to kill me more than Celeste Harris. She's not going to kill you, Tully. She's probably worried about you too. I am just so fucking tired of making mistakes, you know? Every which way I move, everything I do, just seems to go the wrong way. It's fucking paralyzing, man. Pretty soon, you just start to get frozen. Like, everything you touch just turns to shit, so you don't move. You just start letting life happen to you. Let it keep kicking you in the ass, because you're too scared to fight it. I'm just scared that life won't give us a second chance. Or a third chance. I didn't think it would end here. Hey, 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 we're not dead yet. 
Didn't we just sneak off a military base and give some CIA goons the slip? We did. And didn't we talk our way out of freezing to death in Tibet? We sure did. Then we can figure this out. We can make this right again. We can save our girls. Or they can save us. Oberlin. Okay, so what's the plan, Tully? Well, let's think about this. We need to get to Leviathan, but there's no ship, no mortal ship that can take us that deep. Almost everything going deeper than 15,000 feet is going to be remote, and the few vessels that are manned are not exactly going to have room for two broke fugitives like us. Maybe a drone is the answer, Tully. What if we programmed it with a message or a note? All we have to do is to tell the immortals we're trying to get back to them, looking for Miley and McAllen. And what's the note going to say? Oh, hi, McAllen. Uh, sorry for ducking out just as you were being strangled to death. But I hadn't seen my best friend in a while, and you know how I love my guy time, so... Come on, Tully! Stop beating yourself up. What the hell were you supposed to do? Two people you love were being killed right in front of you. You had Anton ten seconds behind you, so at least you knew McAllen had a chance. I was the one who got overpowered by Whit Roberts. If this mess is anyone's fault, it's mine. Oberlin rubbed his hand where his left pinky used to be. I should have gone with her, Tully. You know... My Lee saved my life. I saw her leap into that portal, and she told me to stay, but deep down, I didn't know if I had the courage to jump through to the unknown. She did it, instinctively. I would have liked to have met her. She was pretty special. Had a taste for the sauce just like you. Cognac was her poison. Hell of a body. Jesus Christ, Tully. She was something else, mate. Guys like me don't get girls like her. She had courage and I... All I did was listen. Maybe she needed someone to listen. Maybe you were the one person she could talk to. The one person that she could trust. She needed someone with courage. Hey. Hey, you listen to me, pal. You got plenty of courage. More than anybody I know. It's going to take more than courage to get us back to Leviathan. Well, you're right there. But let's keep thinking. If we can't get there by any mortal means, what about immortal means? I don't follow. Well, well, how do the Immortals get back and forth from Leviathan? They use those portals, those keyholes. And who knows where they are? Those Black Door guys knew about one of them. The one in Tibet. We found another one in the Nankatsu lab in Nishinoshima. So you think Black Door is the answer? Yeah, except they want to kill us. I know another guy, an Immortal that might help us. Who? This guy named Harlequin. And he might be our ticket back to Leviathan. listening to the Leviathan Chronicles. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Lepupka, produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For a full list of cast and crew, or to purchase the ad-free director's cut, go to leviathanchronicles.com. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. To discover more podcasts set in the Leviathan universe, go to leviathanaudioproductions.com or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Leviathan Audio Production. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I want 
wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.